0: Okay, So go ahead and turn to 2 Corinthians, Second Corinthians chapter 4. There's some teaching sheets in your bulletins, and we're going to go ahead and dive into a new series titled uh, Ignite Your Faith. And I want to wish everyone a happy new year. Happy new year to you all. I hope you all had a good week, a good first year, first week of 2023. And uh, in honors of, of uh, honor of new year's, I wanted to share an article that I came across that was titled uh, 2023 resolutions that have already been broken, already been broken. So can, can any of you identify with the, the title already? All right. So here is the first one. Already broke my new year's resolution by going to wing stop. Uh, some of you, that, that's a wing, that's a chicken place in Manchester, a wing place, um, Apparently, nobody likes Wingstop over here in Hampstead. Um, From Maryland, they have them, and I really like them, but they are not very healthy. So unfortunately, um, I have not broken it, but I wish I had broken that resolution there. I like Wingstop. All right, here's the next one. My New Year's resolution was to not complain as much, and yeah, I broke that so quick. Any of you identify? Well, here's one that I read. I thought, oh, that's a little sad, but uh, maybe it's just the type of job. He said, My New Year's resolution was to not cry at work this year. I've been back two days and already broke it. Feel sad for that person, right? Next one. I just broke my resolution to not eat a whole pizza after saying it's not that great two bites in. Must have liked it after all. My 2023 resolution is to not drop my phone on my face when checking it in bed in the morning. Already broke it. And I think we have one more here. Broke my New Year's resolution by being, uh, by being a nicer person, but in my defense, some of y'all are annoying. And everyone said amen to that, not to us, right, to, but to other folks here. Now, have any of you set any resolutions that you've ever broken before? Maybe once or twice? Um, Most likely, some of you have had the resolution to grow spiritually. Most likely, some of you, whether you you have used those words, have decided that, that this year is going to be a different year. That at the beginning of the year, you decided you wanted to become a better person spiritually. Or maybe you don't have any, sort of, so to speak, like, resolutions spiritually. But you recognize, going into 2023, that something has to change. Something has to change because whatever you're doing is not working. Maybe this past year. Or maybe this pa- these past five years. Or even these past 20 years have been just a time of spiritual dryness and you don't know where to go or, or what to do to help yourself grow spiritually. Now on the flip side, maybe some of you look back on 2022 and you're like, rocked it. Yeah, I did a good job. I grew more than I've ever grown before. And you are ready for 2023 to just continue going in that direction, that you want to grow and you want to keep it up. And if you can identify with any of those different areas, then this series that we're going to be talking about over the next five weeks is for you. That over this next month or so, I'm going to be giving you five ways, five ways to ignite your faith. Five things to focus on over this next year that if you will choose to really narrow in on these, that you can revolutionize your spiritual life. And so today, I'm going to give you the first way to ignite your faith. And so, again, how do you ignite your faith? How do you grow spiritually? And to begin, I'm going to read our passage. And so, in the passage it says, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, In their case... shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. So I'm going to talk more about that passage in just a moment. But let me start out by giving you The first step in igniting your faith, and that is step one here, to give your life to Jesus Christ. And then, and we'll pause there. So this is really a two-part sentence, and I'll give the second part in a little bit. First step, first part of the first step is to give your life to Jesus Christ. Now, many of you here have already done that in the past, And I would just ask that you just bear with me for just a moment as I talk about this, because I want to show you or remind some of you and then show some of you that have never done this before why this is so important, in particular, in the aspect of how to grow spiritually. Why this is so important in your spiritual life to grow. In the Civil War, there was this very strange incident that took place. I've shared this before, but it's pertains to this situation right now. It had been a very, succe- uh, it had been, if the uh, event had been successful, it would have ended the civil war months earlier and saved thousands and thousands of lives. And so this event took place during the siege at Petersburg near the end of the war. The Union, tro- the Union troops, they had more, more soldiers, more, more food, more ammunition, more of everything except that the Confederate soldiers were circled around Petersburg and they had massive defense works that were keeping the Union soldiers out. And they had certainly tried to get in. But, and they found in the Civil War that if you have good defense works you can defend with a few, you can defend a lot a lot, against a lot of people. So as they were just sort of at a standstill there, one soldier from Pennsylvania who was a miner before the war came to one of his leaders, one of his generals, and suggested that they build a mine under the the Confederate defense works, and then they blow it up. And so They at first said no, but eventually, because they had nothing better to do, they decided to just go ahead and let them do it. They they said they just thought it would keep the soldiers busy. And so, after about a month, they started, they dug and dug and dug, and after about a month, they had over 500 feet of tunnel uh, from, from their defense works out to the Confederate. And so it went out about 500 feet, and then it turned left and right and just sort of went under the Confederate works for quite a while. They then took in uh, about 8,000 pounds worth of, of, um, I'm forgetting the actual word here, the explosive stuff here, the bad stuff. Um, gunpowder. there we go. They took in, they put 8,000 pounds, so it was 320 kegs of gunpowder under the Confederate works. And then one night in the middle of the night, they lit the fuse and waited. And they waited and waited and nothing. And so they picked a very unlucky soldier to go into the tunnel and relight the fuse which had gone out. Sure enough, at 4.44 a.m., they blew up the Confederate works there, and it was a far bigger success than they had planned. The blast was so big that it killed 278 Confederate soldiers, and the crater, which is still there today, was, uh, was 170 feet long, 120 feet wide, and 30 feet deep. And for a full... Fifteen minutes, there were no Confederate soldiers in sight. And this was their moment. If they had done what they were supposed to do, they could have gone right through to Petersburg, taken it over, and ended the war. The problem is, it was not successful. And the reason that it wasn't successful is because of the, the incident that took place after that. So for two weeks leading up to this event, to this explosion, there was a brigade of the United States Colored Troops that were training for this event. But the day before the event took place... General Meade decided that he didn 't want to send those troops in because he expected that whoever he sent in would be slaughtered because they didn 't expect it to work, so he didn 't want to get bad press from slaughtering these particular troops and so he told General Burnside to pick another group to send in General Burnside drew straws and picked general Ludley general Ludley then the day before was selected and was to lead the troops in there. And so now fast forward, the explosion has happened. They now have the chance to run through to Petersburg, which is what they were supposed to do. But instead, the troops left their defense works, went in, and just sort of huddled in the crater and started building their own defense right there. Right in the crater. And the leader there, General Ludley, was nowhere to be seen. They later found out that he was hiding in the back and he was completely drunk, completely drunk. And so there was no one there to lead him. And since there was or to lead the troops there, since there was no leader to lead the troops, they just sort of stayed back. They didn't go where they were supposed to go. And then there is eventually the Confederates got back to where they were supposed to be. There's a big battle. 4,000 Union troops died and everyone ended up back where they started the day before. And that was the event that ended. Now, you may be wondering as you come here to Island Pond, maybe you're new here. You're wondering, uh, did I come to a Civil War lecture or am I in church? And let me explain to you why this pertains to our message. Just as the assault failed because of poor leadership, your spiritual life will also fail if you lack the right spiritual leadership. So if you do not have the right leader in your life to lead you spiritually, then you will not succeed in 2023 or beyond. And when it comes to the spiritual leadership that all of us need, there is only one person who does it right. And that is Jesus Christ. And if you don't know Jesus, then you don't have the right leader in your life. Without Jesus, you are being led from behind the lines, so to speak. You're you're, you're going in blind. Without Jesus... You are going through life spiritually blind. Let me read verse 4 of our passage again to tie this in. Paul says that in their case, the God of this world, speaking of Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Now, did you catch that? That those who do not know Jesus are spiritually blind. And if you are spiritually blind, then you are unable to see the light of the gospel. You're unable to go in the right direction that you need to go. And so listen, if you don't follow Jesus, then you are blind. And I'm not saying this as someone who is better than you. I once was blind as well. But now I see, not from anything I've done, but because of Jesus Christ. And the only way, the only way to truly see and to truly go in the right direction spiritually is to start out with the foundation of Jesus Christ in your life. This happens by putting your faith in him. Now, I'm going to go off on just a very small tangent because some of you, if you're tracking with me, may be wondering this same thing. You may be wondering how can people that are spiritually blind to Jesus go ahead and put their faith in Jesus. Meaning if if you're blind then then how can you sort of work your way to see again? And and if you have that question or if you heard that question you're like yeah that's a good question. Then what you're thinking about right now is really one of those great questions that brings up the tension between uh, the, 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 the mystery of predestination and free will. And to be honest to you, I can't tell you how these two work together. That is a, a mystery to me. But I'm going to tell you how it works from what the Bible says. And in the Bible, it says in Romans eight twenty nine that God foreknows people. I mean, he, he knows ahead of time who, who, who is, who he wants to save. He then predestines them to be saved. And then he calls that person to himself. So he knows them, he plans them, and then he acts on that by calling them. And it's that calling that is what leads a person out of darkness. It is that calling from Jesus that leads the person out of darkness and into the, the, the light and the life of Jesus. And so that is explaining all that is really what I'd call under-the-hood speak. It's stuff that happens behind the scenes, but you don't have to know all of that to be saved. So let me explain now from the other side of things that the Bible also talks about, what it looks like from our side. So even though we don't, may not know all the intricacies of how all this works, what we need to know is that we are to respond to the call of Jesus Christ on our lives. That when Jesus calls us, our job is to respond to him. And you may be saying, uh, how do I know if I'm being called right now? How do I know if I was truly called? And uh, it's one of those answers that you, you'll understand it when you see it kind of thing. Like, like you'll, you'll know it when you see it. But it's something where there's this desire in your heart that maybe you read the Bible and, and you start to think for the first time, maybe the words of this are really true. Maybe what... God is saying in here, is true, and I need to follow them. Maybe there's just a, a desire or something that is going on inside. You're like a, a restlessness, and you, and, and you say, yeah, I, I need to do that. And so the bottom line is, do you want your eyes opened? Then that is an indication that God is calling you, and so go ahead and turn to Jesus. When Paul and Silas were in prison, and when they were there in the middle of the night, God basically breaks them out of prison. He sends this big earthquake, and they are ready there to to leave. And the jailer, seeing the power of God, uh, essentially goes to them and says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Because he's just seen all of this happen. And you know what Paul and Silas tell him? Does he say, go and act better, and then you'll be saved? Does he say, go get your life in shape and then come back when you're ready, and then you'll be saved? Or or does he even say, listen, this is coming from Paul, who just wrote some of the other words that I read to you from 2 Corinthians. Does he say, good job, everyone goes to heaven, so you don't need a thing? Is that what he says? Or does he say... Um, I'm not sure if you're called or not, so wait until you know more. No, even the one who has said all these things, like in Romans, where he says that God is the one that foreknows and predestines and calls, even though he's the one that says that, when the jailer asks him how to be saved, he doesn't say, confirm your calling. He just says, go to Jesus. Go and believe in Jesus. And so, listen... He says, uh, yeah, thank you for putting that up there. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. So today, it's not up to you to decide if you are predestined or called, but it is up to you to respond to the calling that God has on your life. And so that is a mystery. I can't explain how it all works, but I'm telling you, if God is Weighing on your heart right now, and you've never done it before, turn to Him before it's too late. Put your faith in Him and believe in Him, and you will be saved. I've been here as a pastor for almost six years, and I've seen people die that we didn't expect to die. I've seen disasters happen that we didn't expect to happen. And so, I can definitely say that if you go out these doors, we don't know how long we have to live. And so don't wait until you're like, uh, you're maybe you're 30 now and you're like, oh, I'll wait till I'm 80 and I have all this sort of out of my system. No, you, you don't know if you have till 80. You don't know if you have till 50. You don't know if you have till 31. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And I'm not just talking about belief that is just, a, eh, I believe the patriots are going to do well this weekend. Now, this is the belief that truly changes your actions. It is the belief that works in your life. For example, let's say you, for whatever reason, believe that the water at your house, the well water or the city water at your house is poisoned. What would you do? Most likely, if you truly believed it, you would not drink it. What if you believed that someone right now is putting a bomb under your car so that when you go in there and you turn the keys, it's going to go like in the movies? What if you truly believed that? What, what would you do? Well, I, probably a lot of things, but I can guarantee you one thing you wouldn't do is you would not get in that car. And likewise, what would your life look like if you truly believed that jesus christ is lord you wouldn't just say the prayer and then move on believing that jesus is lord is a is a something that impacts your entire life you see true belief leads to action true belief leads to action And this leads us into the next step or the next part of step one. So, step one, how do you ignite your faith? So, you give your life to Jesus, but then continue living with Jesus. You give him your life, and then you live with him in your life. Let me read verses five through seven again. Paul writes, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. With ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in the jars of, and the, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. So, what is he saying we should do once God has unblinded us, so to speak? Once we can see, Paul doesn't say, Oh, you're good, just stop there. Paul says, in verse 5, he says, Proclaim Christ. They didn't just settle for being a believer. They went out and they proclaimed it to others. He talks about in verse 6 how, he, how the, the light is shining in their lives. This is not for a new Christian, but for a person who's been a Christian for a while. That, that God is continuing to shine in them, and they're shining it out to others. Verse 7, that they are treasuring what they have been given. So all this to say, Christ's salvation happens one time. But it is the start of a process that lasts a lifetime. Lasts a lifetime. I'm going to go ahead and show this short video, and then I'll come back up and explain. So let's go ahead and roll that. Twice. Twice. No! i saw that i I can't remember what it country it said it was but austria yeah i was thinking man they must have a good quality of life if they have time to set up (laughs) thousands of thousands of little cd discs holders the cases and and set that all up so more power to them now let's think about this clip that we just watched and by the way i stopped it at about two minutes it goes on for five more minutes so you, so you missed, you're missing five more minutes of watching it roll around, and do all sorts of fancy stuff. But the reason that I show you this video is to show you what the, the Christian life and the Christian process is like. How did they start that process, that, those dominoes falling, or I'll call them dominoes, the, the discs falling? started with the first one, with pushing over that first one. And how exciting would that a video have been if I'd said, all right, I'm going to show you a video. I go sit down, I turn on, and you see them knock over one disc. And then it's over. That would have been a very dull video, wouldn't it have? Good job, everyone. We, we've done what we needed to do. Let's go home now. And we would just say, that's not very entertaining. That's not very good. Now, the first one was absolutely necessary, wasn't it? Because to get them going, you had to knock over the first one. But the first one wasn't the end game there, wasn't the ending. The first one just started all the others going. It initiated something that continued on and on and on. And likewise, if you have never put your faith in Jesus Christ, then that first step is your step, that you need to put your faith in him. But after that, it doesn't stop there. Because if you stop there, then you are going to live a very spiritually boring life, if it was on video. This raises, though, an important question of how, how do I continue living with Christ? How do I continue living like those dominoes there that just keep falling and falling throughout life? Well, this is what this entire series is about, so I'll be continuing to give you ways that you can do this. But let me just speak broadly now, just to sort of lay the foundation. What's the difference between a married couple that's in love with each other and a married couple that is separated what's the difference between the relationship between those two groups those two couples i thought about that this week and and the one that is separate a couple that's separated this is uh, generically speaking generally speaking here they have little interaction they're going to have no intimacy or possibly even pursuing intimacy with someone else they don't aim to, to please the other, and they're not interested in serving the other. And so technically speaking, they're still married, and they're still together in that sense. But as a separate couple, they're not living that out anymore. Let's contrast that with a couple that we might just call, generally speaking, in love. Well, there's going to be lots of interaction with each other. There's going to be lots of intimacy and closeness. And it's going to be solely on each other and not with others. They're going to be aiming to please the other. And they're going to be aiming to serve the other. Now, do you see what I'm getting at here? That this right here is an example of what it looks like for a person who puts their faith in Jesus Christ and either stops and does nothing after that or puts their faith in Jesus Christ and continuously seeks to grow in their relationship with God. If you are a Christian today, and you've sort of just not, you're not following him anymore, then, then you're lacking that intimacy with God. You're not looking to please him anymore. You're not aiming to, to, to serve God, and, and you're likely pursuing intimacy with other things or people. However, if you are a Christian and if you are wanting to to follow after him, then you are constantly interacting with him. You're constantly having intimacy with him and only him. And you're constantly aiming to please him and serve him. And that's what I mean when I talk about continuing to live with Jesus Christ and not just have him at conversion and then move on. So it is accepting the good news of Jesus for salvation, but then it's continuing to live in the good news of Jesus after that. And so in that light, let me read verses 5 through 7 one more time so you can sort of catch some of those things that I've just mentioned. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. With ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But what we have, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not us. I want to challenge you this year to make 2023 a year of treasuring Jesus Christ. To make 2023 a year of letting Jesus shine in your hearts. And to make it a year of proclaiming Jesus Christ to others. Because that is continuing to live in Jesus Christ. I want to wrap up by telling you a video, telling you about a video that I watched uh, over Christmas. Leading up to Christmas, I was sitting in my room one day on the floor, surrounded by kids' gifts and wrapping paper. And as I was getting ready to wrap some of them, I brought up a TV and I set it in front of me and I figured out how to get YouTube on it. And I started looking for videos that I could watch to just sort of keep me a little bit entertained while I do the very mundane task of rapping. Some of you have, are very passionate about rapping and you make them look beautiful. I rap for speed. And I don't care how it looks. As long as it's covered, I'm good. And so I just, so I can watch while I'm doing this. Well, I came across this YouTube page where there's this pilot that looks at previous disaster, airline disasters, and then talks about what went wrong. And in one of these disasters that I watched that, that he talks about, he talked about a plane that crashed back in the 90s because there were some teens that were flying the plane. And it was in March of 1994. And it was a Russian airline that left Moscow Airport, headed for Hong Kong, and it was in an Airbus A310. And there were only uh, 50 people on board, so not a ton of them. But two of those that were on board were the pilots, the, co- the, the, co- or the, the, the third pilot's 13- and 16-year-old child. And in the middle of the night, the main pilot takes a break, which they're supposed to do. And they, he goes and, I think, sleeps. And then he's relieved by the third pilot, who then is in charge of the plane. So he goes in there. And then he invites his 13 and 16-year-old into the cockpit. During this time, the uh, backup pilot then lets them look around and and see all the buttons. And the 13-year-old asks, can I fly the plane? And let me ask you, if you're a pilot and your 13-year-old ever asked to fly fly the plane, I can tell you from YouTube, never let them do that now. Thirteen-year-old asks to fly the plane, so the dad sits her in his seat and then lets, him, lets her hold on to the, the little wheel there, the yoke, and lets her turn it a little bit. But what he does is he changes the autopilot direction just a little bit so that she's turning, thinking she's controlling it, but in reality, it's actually just the autopilot turning it. So the thirteen-year-old has a good time, And then the 16-year-old sees that and says, can I fly the plane? So he gets in the seat, and the pilot does the same thing and sets the autopilot to a little bit turning, and he starts to turn. The only problem is that the way that this particular plane works is that the autopilot continues to fly unless there's a certain amount of force put on the yoke. And when there's more force put on the yoke than what there should be, then all of a sudden that plane, sort of the autopilot, lets go, so to speak, and then lets them fly without letting them know that it's letting them go. And so the sun starts yanking at the thing and the, fl- the, the plane starts turning without them actually knowing it's turning. And so while they're doing this, the, the plane is slowly turning and turning and turning and then starts going down and down, and they have no idea that any of this is happening. Finally, the, the, the first officer, or the other one that's in there, recognizes that the plane's not where they're supposed to be. And so he, they, they all start looking around, and they're all confused. And eventually, the pilot, the, the, the first officer who's in the other seat, you know, there's two seats, two yokes, the other one gets in there, and he starts yanking the yoke the other way. And this is all the while, while the teenager is still in there, yanking it this way. And apparently on this plane, there's another feature, that when the two yokes yank in the opposite direction, there's actually a chain beneath that snaps and gives only the main pilot the, 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 way, the opportunity to fly. So now the teenager is the only one controlling the plane. Finally, they kick him out of the seat. They get in and they start doing. They're panicking at this point, and they uh, are not able to get it uh, stabilized. And the plane goes and it crashes into the ground, killing everyone. And within minutes, there um, uh, of, of starting, it's down in the ground and done. Now there is an investigation that followed. And they found that at one point, if the officers at that very last point, when they were all panicking and yanking at the controllers and everything, if they had just let go, the plane, still being an autopilot, would have reset and could have pulled it and likely saved what was happening. But instead, because they were yanking at it, because they were panicking, they basically drove it or flew it right into the ground, now, hopefully you see my point here, that if you want your chance to grow spiritually this year, then you need Jesus in your life. But after you turn to him, you need to let him have the controls of your life. I'm not a Carrie Underwood music fan here, but her song stands true in this situation, that we need jesus to take the wheel and to continue taking the wheel in our life not just once but all the time and so if you are constantly yanking at the controls of jesus then you are going to go out of control in your life so i want to encourage you today give your life to jesus but then continue letting him lead you as lord and that is the first step to igniting your faith. And by the way, that is the most important step to igniting your faith. Let's go ahead and spend a moment now in prayer. So I'm going to ask everyone.